Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Today, we again hear one of our Lord's most disturbing parables. And perhaps the Lord's concluding words, for many are called, but few are chosen, are the most disturbing words within this parable. So let's start with those words and tackle the most challenging part of this passage. It's critical that we hear the same thing that those listening to Jesus that day nearly 2,000 years ago would have heard when he said, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here we cannot take the literal translation presented in our Bibles at face value. Smarter people than I tell us that the words for many don't mean what we think they do in the plain reading of the text. And instead, these words are just a common manner of speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew to say for everybody or for all. So I'm here first to assure you that you're called. Jesus is calling you. Just imagine that icon of Jesus looks a little bit more like Uncle Sam pointing his finger at you, saying, I want you. I want you for my wedding feast. I can understand why you might not want to join the armed forces. Maybe Matt can talk about that. But why are we resisting Jesus's call to come to the greatest party ever thrown? We hear from Jesus that those invited made light of the offer to come and share in the feast of all the king's oxen and fatted cattle. The servants even said that everything was ready right now. There was no need to wait or to be patient. Instant gratification was available. So why did they make light of it? Or did they think it was too good to be true? Surely the king isn't asking me to his wedding. How many of us here today Thank Jesus' offer to us of a life of peace here on earth and eternal life in the age to come are too good to be true. And what did they do? What do we do? We make ourselves busy. We go back to our farm. We concern ourselves with our earthly wealth. We go back to our merchandise, perhaps a little too prideful to receive God's boundless grace and charity, instead wanting to provide for ourselves perhaps idolizing money, possessions, what others think of us, or any other of countless things, rather than worshiping God. It's easy to make ourselves busy with things until we've squeezed out all the time for God and our neighbor, neglecting prayer, fasting, and our own acts of charity to others. In fact, when we are too concerned with ourselves, it's hard to think of God or of our neighbor. In fact, it can get to the point where instead of showing love for our neighbor and God, we kill our neighbor and his messenger as they did in this story. We quickly find ourselves on the wrong side of God's greatest commandment to love him and our neighbor. We fill up our lives with other stuff so much that we have a hard time pulling ourselves out of where we are because we've killed off God in our lives. But Jesus is calling you. He's saying, I want you. I want you to join my wedding feast. He's called everyone, but few are listening. We currently live in a world 
where people are trying to divide themselves into ever smaller categories in order to find a place they belong. And at the end, most of them are finding themselves increasingly more isolated, indeed, alone. Because if you divide far enough, we are all truly unique after all. In our postmodern world, we seem to only find togetherness in celebrating our differences. Or at least that's the story they try to tell us. Instead, everyone finds out, some faster than others, that they only belong to the extent that they share the same views of those that want us to say anything they like goes, but not anything they don't like. And Jesus has a different offer for us. He says, no matter what actions of yours you think define you, you're welcome and you are loved. Yes, Jesus says you are welcome here and you are loved, whether you're a blasphemer, an idolater, whether you work on the Sabbath unnecessarily, fail to honor your parents no matter how they've treated you, murdered, committed adultery, or any other host of sexual immorality, stolen, lied, coveted, whatever you've done, you're welcome here and you will be loved. And thank God, because I expect if you're anything like me, you've been a few of those things in your life. And perhaps you still think of yourself as defined by them. And I guess I should make clear and go ahead and be completely honest that when I say you're welcome here and that you'll be loved here, it may not always feel that way. I'm not God and neither are any of the parishioners of this church. We're fallen. We make ourselves busy with things other than the work of God. And sometimes we will make mistakes. Sometimes we will be unloving. But I hope you'll tell us when we are and have the heart to forgive us. We promise you the same in return. Anyway, I said that Jesus has a different offer to that of the world. The world that defines people by what they have done and by what we do. But Jesus defines us differently. And the world that Jesus first presented this message to wasn't all that different from ours. They had identity politics too. Pharisees, Sadducees, Romans, Greeks, Zealots. And people were doing all the things they were doing back then that we do today. St. Paul says so in Romans and other places. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Yep, they were doing the same things we are. And Paul warned us that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it isn't because they did those things that they won't inherit the kingdom. It's not because they did those things that they won't join the wedding feast. Instead, it's because they continue to be defined by those things. And of course, if you're defined by something, you're continuing to do it. What Jesus offers is that instead of being defined by what we do, that we be defined by what we really are. Jesus recognizes that we're all different, and he cherishes it. He knows that we all bring something special to the table. God relishes diversity. Just look around, at, around all the world that he created. And more importantly, look at God himself. Three distinct persons, co-equal, yet with an ordering, the Son eternally begotten from the Father and the Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father. But they don't fight each other. They each have an individual identity, and yet a corporate identity, cooperating and loving each other perfectly. That's what Jesus offers us. 
we can still be our true selves, and yet we can all truly be on the same side. This is clearly radical when you look at the way the rest of the world around us is acting today, and it was radical 2,000 years ago. How can we achieve this? By becoming more like God. After all, God created us in his own image and likeness. Our ancestors marred that likeness, and we still deface that likeness with our continued actions and inactions. But Jesus wants you. He wants you to be like him. He's calling you. He still wants you to be like him, the first Adam, the first person. So much that even despite all we did to ruin the gift he gave us, he chased after us. He died to defeat the enemy. We brought upon ourselves death, and he's still willing to fix us up, restore us to what we were created to be, to be like him, not by nature, but by grace. And it's an offer we cannot and should not refuse. Some in our society try to tell us that our message, the message I'm sharing with you today, is trying to get people to be something they're not. They say that we're truly free only when we can do, and in fact do do, whatever fancies us. Jesus says this isn't so. The only way to be truly free is to be like him. And he's right. God's the only one I know who can really do whatever he wants. In fact, he shared some of that true freedom with us when he created us, giving us our free will, giving away some of his power so that we could freely love him. Because love is only love when it's freely given. You can't make people love you, and neither can God. It's often very difficult for us to see that the things we do, the things we do that we think define us, are enslaving us. We are subject to them rather than making them subject to us. And if you think otherwise, just try to stop doing them. You are free after all, right? But you know it isn't easy to stop. And that's why Jesus' offer is different. He can help us get control. How? Well, Jesus doesn't say, stop doing all those bad things you're doing. He meets you at dinner, even if you're a tax collector, a harlot, or just a generic sinner. Yep, that's me, that's you. He says, dine with me, walk in my shoes, become just a little more like me. Don't try to stop what you don't want to do, but instead do what I do. Fill up your life with doing the good things prayer, fasting, almsgiving. And in so doing, you will be more like God. And when you fill up your life with those things, you won't have a moment for any of that other stuff you used to think was your identity. You won't be able to create idols in your life. You'll be in control rather than that stuff controlling you. You'll be loving God. And therefore, you'll be keeping his commandment. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But he didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you'll love me. You have to get it straight. You have to start by loving God. Otherwise, we'll be trying to do the hard work of overcoming sin without Jesus walking alongside us, without putting his cross between us and our enemy. So love God by getting closer to him. Pray. I mean, if you don't talk to somebody, it's kind of hard to be close to them. So talking to God is a way to learn how to be more like him. Spend more time when you pray asking for things others need than asking for yourself. Spend less time talking and plenty of time listening to God share with you how you should be more like him. Fast. 
Some say fasting as restricting ourselves, and in some sense it is. But fasting is just taking a break when we're out of control. It's a way to take care of yourself. It's a way of putting yourself in balance, making yourself whole. And when you take care of yourself, you're getting closer to God. Because remember, you're created in God's image and likeness. Fasting also gives us an opportunity to be more like God, who has everything and can do anything, yet he doesn't. He's humble and shows great restraint. So you go and do likewise. Give alms. I always say this isn't only passing out dollar bills to the homeless person on the street. It starts with everyone around you. And for most of us, first and foremost, our family and friends. Treat them with love and kindness. Go help them with something. Show them a kind word. Help them with something they loathe doing. When you love the people around you, friend or foe, you're again getting closer to God. Because when you're interacting with other people in need, our Lord has told us that inasmuch as we did it to one of the least of these, we did it unto him. You're becoming more like God because you freely give without regard to anything else. Pray fast and give alms. You'll get closer to God and be more like him. Then you will put on Christ. You will be wearing the wedding garment and you will not be found speechless at the banquet. You will be wearing the likeness of God again, which he wants to restore for you. The king will know you belong there now and for all eternity. Jesus wants you. Jesus is calling you. Come join his wedding feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.